Christ is our anchor. And you can imagine how important an anchor would be to a, a sailor or even a novice boater when you just so desperately need uh, to be stable, to be secure, to be safe, right? And that anchor is what provides that, that strength. And to know that it is Jesus Christ himself who, who is our anchor. And so we don't ever have to feel weak or in despair. And if and when we do, we rely on the anchor. It's really the point of Scripture is that we're not called to save ourselves. We're not called to rely on ourselves. In fact, quite the opposite. You are the source of your problem. You can't save yourself from the problem and you're too weak to solve the problem. That's our strength. That's our power. That's why for Christians to be arrogant is, is incomprehensible. It's a, it makes no sense at all. That's, that's not Christianity. And anytime you're talking to a, a friend or a stranger or a coworker and they say things like Christians are arrogant or, or hypocritical, so no, 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 you, you have it all wrong. We're all broken. We're all sinful. The, the difference is the anchor of our soul. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ, the great mystery. Well, today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, the mystery is revealed or unveiled. One of the things that I, I can't overemphasize enough is that God is sovereignly in control. That, that, that God providentially is, is, is laying out and fulfilling His plan. His plan of redemption that started back in, not, not only in Genesis 1, but even before the creation of mankind. And I want you to consider this. Because I know sometimes we struggle with that balance of, well, you know, what about my will or what about God's sovereign will? Think about it this way. Um, if, if your will was what your strength and confidence and hope is set in, well, first of all, you, you wouldn't need God then, right? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. If it's up to you, well, you don't need God. And by the way, I mean, isn't that what everybody else is doing they're just doing their own thing i've never come across anybody who who has stated well i have no moral compass i have no belief system right i'm, I'm a pure anarchist and no i mean people have a belief system they have a, a set of moral codes it may be totally different than yours it may be invented by themselves but they believe in something um and so for us, it's the anchor. For us, it's, it's the Lord God Almighty, and we trust in Him because He is sovereignly, all-powerfully in control. Um, and, and because of that, He is sufficient. He is sufficient. We don't need the world's psychology. We don't need the world's philosophy and I've stated this before if you're if you're not sure how the 
the blend of Christianity and the blend of God's word, how that works with psychology and, and philosophy, we'll just ask them how often they blend the Bible with psychology and philosophy. They don't because that's a contradiction in their belief, which is baffling why so many Christians think that we should include them. They get it. Why don't, why don't we get it? Be careful. Be careful. We're warned over and over and over again throughout the scriptures um, to not follow after vain philosophies, right? Colossians 2.8. We're to contend earnestly for the faith, not follow after vain philosophies. Um, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the, the, the wisdom of the world. is just utter foolishness and nonsense to God. So why are, why are we seeking it? Why are we clinging to that at all? Think about this letter to the Ephesians. We're going to read about this letter to the Ephesians. And and the letter is is written from prison. Paul is in prison. And as he's ordained by by the Spirit of God to, to write the Holy Scriptures, he's in prison. He's not like on, you know, sabbatical vacation, you know, with a nice little cup of cappuccino overlooking the Mediterranean, you know, pondering life's greatest things and jotting down what he's learned in, you know, the Hebrew and the Old Testament. Now with Jesus coming along, he's in prison. Well, that's a bad thing, right? In my plan, the man of God never ends up in prison. That's bad. Well, when the man of God was in prison and supernaturally ordained by God, he wrote seven books in the Bible, seven pieces of of literature that have changed the world. That was very, very good, wasn't it? That's God's sovereign hand at work where we think. Remember Peter in the garden? When the soldiers come to get Jesus and he whips out his sword and he goes to kill the guy. You're not taking my Jesus. I mean, you know, well-intentioned, right? He was wrong. God had a different plan. God had a sovereign plan. The whole history of the world was culminating to this point where Jesus is going to be taken and the sacrifice on the cross for the sins of mankind. And Peter wants to stop it. He had it all wrong. And this is a guy walking with Jesus. Our perspective is very, very limited in scope. We're we're blinded by our humanity. We're blinded by our our own selfish desires, by our own sin nature. James 1 says this about trials, about tribulation, about bad things that happen. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, how many of you on your prayer list, on your thought list, you know, I really want a good week this week. I want to be full of joy. I'm going to pray for some bad stuff to happen to me because that'll do it, right? Things break down, you know, bills come that were twice as much as you expected. Um, no, we don't, we don't do that. Why? Because we don't really consider it a good thing. We don't really consider it joyful. But the scripture says, consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter these trials. Why? Why would you consider it joy? Because knowing that the testing of your faith faith produces endurance. 
produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Who wants to be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing? I do. Well, then you're going to face trials. Then you're going to be put on, on the anvil through the refiner's fire, and you're going to be beaten and pounded and go through that heat that makes it so hot that it bends metal. Well, we don't really like that part, but that's, that's God's sovereign hand at play here. And, and we need our, our arms wrapped around this. There's no easy way. There is no easy way. Anybody telling you that the, the Christian life is, is easy? They're lying to you. They're, they're very misguided and don't understand Scripture. Scripture never promises that. In fact, it, it completely reveals and promises the opposite. You will suffer. Follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me, says Jesus. Be willing. Well, the Ephesian church is a reminder. We've been out of it a couple of weeks. The Ephesian church is suffering from misguided teachers, false teachers. They're unscriptural. They're, they're, they're not biblical. They impose legalistic rules, old Jewish rules. They have some crazy ideas about forbidding marriage and dietary laws and old fables and genealogies. Remember, they're, they're in Ephesus, which is you know one of those meccas of the Mediterranean where there's all kinds of different cultures and religions and belief systems. And, you know, and every three weeks there's a... There's a uh, a new guy in town running through and teaching something different. And so the, the pagan, the pluralistic, the, the multicultural mixing of religions and philosophies is confusing, especially when you have a, a great transition from the old covenant, the old Testament, the old, you know, Jewish belief system to now Christianity. There's a new covenant a new belief system, a new awakening and understanding. It's a difficult time. It's a very difficult time. You, you can understand why there would be so much confusion, which is why they needed to be even more diligent, which is why in today's day and age, we need to be even more diligent, contending earnestly for the faith. There is a lot of voices, a lot of confusion there's, there's a lot of the, the mixing of religions. Multiculturalism isn't bad because people come from different nations and speak different languages and have lighter or darker skin than, than one another. That's not why it's bad. It's bad because of the, the religious ideologies that they bring in. It's all about the, the, the false religions, not about the nationalities. And so today we're going to see this, this mystery unveiled, mystery unveiled to Paul. And, and the cool thing is we see his, his excitement in four ways. We're going to see this revelation that comes from God. Then we're going to see riches, riches, lavish riches that come from God. We're going to see a request that's made before God. And then finally, a reminder of God. And so turn with me to Jonah, Jonah chapter 3 real quick. Jonah is such a 
rich little little book. There's there's so much here, but we were talking about Jonah a little bit last week too. And Jonah 3.10 states this, When God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented. Remember last week we talked about repenting? God relented. He turned around concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. So the Ninevites were, were pagan and God was, was, could unleash his wrath on them. And God relented. Even though they were wicked, even though their deeds were, were bad, he, he decided he's going to turn away from that punishment. He's not going to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not going to bring a flood like, like the days of Noah. He, he's he, he's going to turn from that. Now, you would think that the man of God, Jonah, the, the preacher, would be pumped and would be excited like Paul. Paul's excited that the Gentiles are, are coming into the fold. He's excited that his role is going to be to preach the gospel to non-Jews. Now, remember, Paul's a Jew of all Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, circumcised on the eighth day. This is a Pharisee, a guy who would have memorized tons of scripture. This is a guy who was so passionate, so serious, that when you blasphemed the, the name of God in his estimation, being a Christian, he would kill you. I mean, th- th- this guy, Paul was serious. And, and when the opportunity comes to preach the gospel, to save souls, he's excited. Not so much Jonah. God reveals that, hey, I, I'm going to re, re, relent. I'm going I'm to repent of, of, of destroying this, this nation. And Jonah, and Jonah 4, 1 says, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. And he prays about this. What does he pray? Lord, I, I know I'm wrong. I know I'm messed up. I know I have the bad perspective. Help me. That's not what he prays. And he prayed to the Lord, say, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. But there's so much here to unpack. First of all, Knowing and completely understanding who God is. This is why we read the scriptures. Jesus Christ did not come to seek and destroy. He came to seek and save the lost. And that message has been true from the beginning of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant was not about God being angry and short-tempered. And that's why he destroyed Sodom. And that's why he... He destroyed the earth with the flood. No, God has always, always been gracious and compassionate and merciful. He was gracious and compassionate and merciful with Adam and Eve when they rebelled against him. He was gracious and compassionate to Cain when he sent him away with a mark to protect him. He was gracious and compassionate to David when he sinned against Bathsheba. He's gracious and compassionate to the nation of Israel when they went through the cycle of sin during Judges. He's gracious and compassionate over and over and over again to the people 
of Israel. And here, coming to Jonah, Jonah knows this so well that when God reveals that he's going to save this country and use Jonah, he's like, I don't want to do it. You know why he doesn't want to do it? Because he knows God is going to do it. That's crazy. I mean, that's, this is a, 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 a pastor's, a preacher's dream. If, if the Lord came to me and said, hey, I've got an assignment for you. I'm, I'm going to send you to, you know, to, to, to Mexico. And, and you're going to bring the gospel to them. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save them all. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You, you don't know the Mexicans like I do. They ain't right. I know. I got their blood in me. And if you send me, then you're going to save them. And I don't really want that to happen, so I don't want to go because I know you're gracious and compassionate and I know you're all powerful and mighty to actually do it. Well, Paul has a different view of this. And Ephesians, back to Ephesians 3, this is how Paul looks at it as he receives this revelation from God. Verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief, And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So here's this revelation from God. And here's Paul. And Paul is saying, you know, I'm a prisoner of Christ for the sake of of you. This is written to us. This is incredible that we have understanding because Paul is is writing to us, the Gentiles, extends beyond this small group in Ephesus, but it's continued on for generation after generation after generation. 2,000 years later, here we are, the Gentile church. We're Gentiles from Ravensdale. Same applies. And so... Paul is, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ. He he calls himself in verse 2, have you heard of the stewardship of God's grace? So he's a a prisoner, but he's a a steward. We used to have a term that we, you know, we used to call the flight attendants stewardesses, right? We don't, I guess we're not allowed to call them that anymore. Well, what that meant was, well, they were, they, they were, Servants, they would serve you. That's all that means. That's all that a, a steward is. It's one who, who serves, one who's given a task of, of, of service. And it just depends on well, what's, what's your task of service. And Paul begins this stewardship by saying, let me be clear. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I know that's what everybody thinks. 
No, God is sovereignly in control of this. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Now, that's an, a, a, a big explanation here because here's Paul making it very, very clear. Look, I, I, want, I want to be clear with everybody here. I'm a prisoner of, of, of Jesus. I'm captive. I'm confined not by Rome, but by Christ. I'm a, I'm a willing bond servant steward of Jesus Christ. Why? For the sake of the Gentiles. The, the, I, the phrase for the sake of is it's for the advantage of. I'm a bond servant. I'm a servant. I'm a steward for your benefit, for your blessing. That's why I'm here. That's what I'm doing. What, what, what a great proclamation and statement just out of the gate of, you know, you want to state who you are. My name is Paul. Maybe you've heard of me. No, he doesn't come out with that. Right? He comes out with this prisoner of Christ. And why? For the sake of the Gentiles. Well, verse 3, that by revelation, by the revelation of, of God, there was made known to me. See, Paul didn't invent this. Paul didn't outstudy it. Paul didn't you know, pray over it. Paul didn't... It wasn't because he was so much smarter than everybody else. No, God revealed it to him. This is not of Paul. Paul is not to be worshipped. Paul is not to be glorified. He's, he's pointing the direction back to God. It said, look, I was in the dark too until the revelation came from God and made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And so this idea of, of mystery, you know, I don't know how many of you read, you know, Agatha Christie, you know, books. You know, the idea of mystery there is, it, it, it's a mystery. It's a, it's a puzzle. So there's these pieces that you're going to be given for, for you to solve the mystery, if you can. Of course, it's written in a way that you can't. Well, God laid out this, this mystery. He gives us all these pieces, all this understanding, but, but we're still unaware. It, it was still hidden. It was still not completely fulfilled. So it was still mysterious until God reveals it, until he, he, he shows Paul. Now, what's this, this mystery? What's taking place here? Turn back to Ephesians 2, uh, verse 11. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcised, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who formerly were far off, have been brought near. How? Why? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, that's Jewish and Gentile into one 
And he broke down the barrier and the dividing wall by abolishing in the flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross by having it put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. This is the, the, the great mystery that was, was being unveiled before their eyes that, that the, the Gentiles and the Jews who were totally separate, who, who were, you know, uh, of, a, of a different commonwealth, who didn't have the same promises, who didn't have the same blessings, didn't have the same inheritance, are now, verse 6, Ephesians 3, 6 are now, let's be specific, let's be clear that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, now this is totally radical. This is, believe it or not, this is more radical than, than in the days of the North and the South when, when you had slavery. This is more radical than that. You, you had a whole world of, uh, whole countries in, 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 of, of, in Africa of, of free, you know, black people that weren't slaves. Here it was everywhere in the world. You're either Jewish or you're not. <laughs> everywhere. And if you're not, then you're out. No heaven you're not joint heirs. You're not brothers and sisters. You're, you're not part of the commonwealth of Israel. You're not part of the nation. Can't be. Not born that way. There's two different categories and people on the earth. And almost by definition, it's us and everybody else. Um, this is radical to all of a sudden say, no, now we're all together. We're, and, and the language that's here is, it, it's remarkable that the two groups, verse 14 in chapter 2, turn into one. The, verse 15, that the two into one, one new man, thus establishing peace. Let me be clearer. Verse 16, that they might reconcile them both into one body. How? Through the cross. Through the cross. Verse 18, and through him we both have our access in one spirit. So no longer strangers, no longer aliens, fellow citizens. I mean, he goes out of his way in so many different ways to explain how these two groups are now one. They're fitted together, verse 21. They're built together, verse 22. And it's Christ, verse 20, who is the cornerstone. Not the Jews, not the Gentiles, not Paul, not Peter. It's Christ. It's Christ himself. It's interesting to me that this is repeated, actually. This is a very small letter, right? The, the book of Ephesians is, is small. It you know, only covers like four pages of my Bible. It's six chapters. And he explains this and lays this out in Ephesians 2, 
Why does he repeat himself in Ephesians 3? Because it was such a mystery. It, it's like, you guys, I, I, know you, I know you can't see it. I, I know you don't believe it. Let me say it again. I didn't believe it either. I didn't know it either. That's why God had to reveal it to me. Everybody missed it. Everybody missed it, right? And so the mystery of God's will is completely revealed to Paul and to us. He's a bondservant of Christ, a minister of the gospel of grace that's freely given to all. It's unbelievably incredible. And it includes Gentiles. All by God's sovereign power. Part of it, again, it's, it's this, this understanding, this inclusion that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That he is the God-man who saved us on the cross by his amazing grace. Ephesians 2, 1 begins, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them too. We all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and are, are, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. See, everybody was in the dark. Everybody was, was blind to this, this, this great mystery. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, transgressions he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace we've been saved through faith that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. This is the great mystery. This is the great mystery that this is how one is saved. We're saved by grace through faith, not of our own. It's a gift of God. And it wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for Israel. It was for everybody. Everybody. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, the second point is the riches come again from God. They come from God. Verse 8. To me... The very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light that what is the administration of the mystery, which is for ages, has been hidden in God, who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Part of the mystery is these, these riches, this unfathomable riches, of Christ. And again, Paul begins with this, this proclamation of, look, look, 
for me. I, I'm, I'm the least. I'm the least of all saints. And look at the way he writes. He considers himself a prisoner. He considers himself a servant, right? A steward. Paul takes no glory or no, no title, no proclamation of, of who he is, his stature, his status. No, he, he's, he's least of all saints. It's like, really? How do we refer to Paul? And, and we have to be careful with that. We, we really do. And, and, and I got to be honest, it's hard because Paul's a stud. I mean, he is. And as a brother in Christ, um, what we owe him, the gratitude for what he's written and given to us, the lowly Gentiles, um, I'm thankful for him. And as much as I want to consider him a rock star, he's not. And he would deny that, say, no, for me to live, to, 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 for me to live as Christ, to die is to gain. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. Don't do that. Don't follow me, which, which should be a reminder to us, to me, as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, to have that type of attitude of humbleness. No, instead, Paul's totally humble. He says, look, I'm the least of all the saints. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he really believes it when he says, look, we all have gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're all part of the body. There's no part of the body that's more important, the eye or the, or the nose or the thumb, right? We're all joint heir co-equals. He believes it. He really does. He said, and, and of all of that, I'm actually the least. And this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ. He, you know, he's, he gets to preach to the Gentiles. You, 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 again, you, you got to try to put yourself back in, in, in his, his, his place and his space of time. Israel is a really small country. It's really small. It's not powerful. It's not mighty. They're, at the time, they're currently being occupied by Rome. I mean, Israel is, is, is not a, a, a big, strong you know, nation. Now, Paul is given with this task to say, hey, you know, I know you guys have been doing, having a pretty good deal over there in the, you know, the Puget Sound and you know, Israel's done okay. You've, you know, you've made some mistakes and stuff. But Paul, I don't need you to continue preaching in King County anymore. I've got a different thing for you. I need you to preach to everybody else. I mean, that is, and you get to, and I've got a, I've got a, a treasure chest here for you to go and to give everybody else. And it's unfathomable riches. It, it's, it's, it never ends, right? Grace doesn't stop at 144,000, right? There's no limit on grace. There's no limit to, to different countries and different races and different nationalities. No, it goes to all. And here's the message that Gentiles are not like partial members. They're not partial members. No, you're joint heirs. That means when, when a father writes out a will and he's looking at his children, right? And he's got three kids and, you know, two boys and a daughter and it's like, okay, this is what they all get. 
Well, except for one thing. He, he adopts three more kids. And the three kids he adopts get the exact same inheritance as his blood. Um, I haven't adopted anybody, but as a, as a parent of my own children and loving them very, very deeply, one of the, the cool things that's happened for us and our family is as our family has expanded through, through marriages, just to see how my heart's been able to just been knitted together with these children who, while I didn't adopt them, they're now part of our family. And so I can understand now a little bit of what that looks like to say, and I love them too. And I love them as much as my kids. And, and if there was this awesome inheritance, well, sorry, there's not, but if there was, <laughs> you would get the same amount. Um, joint heirs, joint membership. We, we don't really have like a lot of the private clubs memberships anymore. You know, you go to the, the uh, Friars Club in New York, you know, or maybe you went to a, a you know, an all man, men's club in the, in the country club. You're a member and non-members aren't allowed in. We don't really relate to that as much, but you, you get the idea. Well, you know what? All member, you're all members. Everybody's an equal member, joint heirs, co-members, co-partakers of the blessings co-partakers of heaven. We, we all get to go to heaven. This is incredible. It's incomprehensible. It's so awesome. The riches, the lavish riches, the unfathomable riches of Christ. We, we recently saw this, this movie in the, the secret treasure, right? You know, they have all kinds of these movies now where you have treasure maps and clues and you go on adventure and you go all over the place and you know kind of like an indiana jones kind of a thing and so you know you go there and what's at the end of the secret treasure gold right jewels riches but in this one there was a twist at the end of this the 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 riches was just love just two people who loved each other and when the people who see this you know of course you've got you know a gal and you know a romantic you know gal and then the guy who's the treasure hunter and he's like what what a ripoff right and she's sitting there going oh love it's so beautiful and it's it's enough for her she gets it that's the treasure that's the revelation of their their love for one another and see we get caught up in and we treasure gold. We, we treasure the things of the world. And, and Paul's not caught up in that. God's not caught up in that. They're caught up in the unfathomable riches of Christ. And in that is preaching. Preaching the good news. The gospel. Verse 9. Bringing to light that which was hidden. The mystery for which ages had been hidden in God. It's hard for us to understand this because it hasn't been hidden to us. It's hard for us to, to put ourselves in this place, but, but you really have to try hard because when you do that, then you, you, you get excited. 
you, 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 you get excited and you, and you can start to understand how exciting this would be, that this great mystery and every day with every letter, it's being unpacked more and more and more. And you know, to a certain extent, the more you read and study the Bible, it's unpacked to you and the, and the riches and the depth of, of, of God's grace is, is revealed to you more and more. And it becomes better and better. That's why the more you read God's word, the, the, the more joy you're filled with, the, the, the richer you become, the happier you become, not less. It, it's, it's this gift that's just never ending. Never ending. It's got, it's got to be shared. It's got to be revealed. It's got to be taught. And, and Paul's the one who, who gets to do this in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. So the vehicle that Paul is going to use is the church. We talk about what does it mean to be a, a part of a church? What does it mean to be a membership? Part of that is that, that we have the, the, the role of not only coming together to be strengthened and to be encouraged and to bear one another's burdens, but you know we have a role in the expansion of, of the church, of the body of Christ. We have a role individually with each other. Discipleship, praying for one another, edifying one another, helping one another, keeping each other accountable. We're, we're not here to kick each other when we're down. We're here to pick each other up, right? There's nobody who's perfect in this room. Nobody in this room is perfect. And I can lament with Paul when I say, yeah, I, I, I'm the least of the saints. I too have sin. I too am fallible. I too need to repent and work hard at it. And so the creator of the universe who created all things, who, who puts Paul as a steward is then sovereignly in charge of this. In charge of what verse 10? In order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, that was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ our Lord. This is, this is an eternal purpose. This is, again, part of the mystery is, you know what, this isn't a self-help book. That's why the idea of health, wealth, and prosperity, that you come to church or you come to the Bible, like because it's going to help your business or it's going to help your financial portfolio, it is so misguided, so misguided. The, the, the riches are the eternal riches. The treasure is the treasure which is found in the heavenly places. And so Paul is now in charge with, with, with proclaiming this message. And that's what we proclaim. Look, we don't get caught up in the day-to-day -day trials and tribulations. Why? Because we have an eternal purpose. We have a heavenly hope. If this is your hope, um, then you need to take some time to reflect upon what your hope is. Because your anchor 
is the wrong anchor and it's in the wrong place. Christ is our hope. And the mystery now through the process of the new covenant where the Holy Spirit now resides in you and unveils it to you. And it's not about keeping laws. It's about walking by the Spirit through the power of Christ and our access, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Through faith in Him. And so, it allows Paul to say to his brothers and sisters, don't lose heart in my tribulation. Don't lose heart. People were worried about Paul. Paul's in prison. Paul's in jail. He's like, don't, don't worry about that. It's no big deal. Don't, don't, don't think about that. My hope is in Christ. My trust is in Christ. My, my, my power is in Christ. And we'll see this next week. And so Paul's task then and his focus and his mission, vision, and purpose is to make the unsearchable riches of Christ known. And not only known, but known to the Gentiles. Unlike Jonah, he's excited about his mission. He's ready to go. He's ready to fire on all cylinders. And the cool thing is we have the advantage of knowing that's exactly what Paul did. And it's an amazing thing to consider in his missionary journeys. Paul was a missionary preacher. Paul was a church planter. Paul was also uh, a writer. And so again, it would be easy to consider him a rock star. But to Paul, all he was doing was preaching the gospel of grace, the great mystery to the unknown world, unveiling the hidden. Somehow in America, in this twisted, convoluted um, way, we live amongst people who, who don't get it. Different reasons than Paul's day and age. But it's no different in that right now the gospel is hidden to them. They can't see it. They, they, they have the, the scales that were on Paul's eyes, right? So, so they're blinded. What, what seems very, very clear and simple and easy to you, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. They don't get it. They're following their father, the evil one. And so it's up to us. It's up to us in kindness and in gentleness to reveal the hidden truth, to reveal that there's fellow heirship, there's fellow membership, there's fellow partaking of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Next week, we'll look at the second half of this. Let's pray. Lord.